Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome to another episode of the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. And for those of you joining us live, it's a special edition, I guess. It's not a special edition in terms of the weekly show, but it's on a different evening than usual. Usually we do Wednesday evenings and we're, we're a little bit earlier on Tuesday evening uh, this week. So uh, still, even though it's a couple couple days into the week only, there's a lot of news. We'll, we will touch on that. Uh, the NFL Combine is is in the rearview mirror now, and uh, well, there's a lot to take away from that multiple-day event. A lot of big uh, numbers and showings by some exciting players there. We will talk about that and some possibilities for the Cincinnati Bengals on this week's episode. Uh, we may have a special guest at the end of, of the show to talk about the NFL Combine, who was there. Um, it's Edward Valentine with SBNation.com. He, he runs the SB Nation New York regional site. We're hoping to get him on towards the end of the show. Um, we're going to try and get to some listener questions. All of that is on tap tonight. Uh, in case you're new to the show, you can get the show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play. You can get it on the Megaphone platform. All of our stuff is on CincyJungle.com. And, of course, uh, our videos are on YouTube. All of our episodes' videos are on YouTube. So subscribe to our channels, download the audio content, and get the show how you can. As usual, I am joined by my co-host, John Sheeran. John, before I go on a rant to start the program, how are you doing, sir? This I, I told you before we kicked off, this has been a hell of a week for me personally, but uh, I hope your week's going a little better than mine. Maybe a hell of a week for you. It's probably a crazy week for those down in New Orleans. It's Mardi Gras today, but for yeah. us tourists <laughs> who can't make it, it's just Fat Tuesday. I'm celebrating by enjoying my second sleeve of Thin Mints. Um, I, I know you're the one who creates the uh, questions of the week, but I'll, I'll create my own. What is your favorite Girl Scout cookie? Oh, man. That is a great question. Well, what you're what you're mowing right now is th- those are amazing. Um, Can't go wrong with thin mints. Yeah, I mean those are those are just amazing. And right now, uh, you know, you're, you're killing me because <laughs> the wife and I have been doing this keto diet thing for a handful of months, and while it's done well for me in terms of losing, you know, shedding some extra weight and all that kind of stuff, you know, sitting here seeing you wolf down a sleeve of thin mints you're second a better sleeve. man than me oh uh, well you're a, you're a thinner man than me so that, <laughs> that's 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 the difference between uh god what are you 20 21 22 i'll, I'll take 22 okay then 36 my friend you can I go to the, i go to the gym a lot but the diet plays into it um 
Uh, I will say Thin Mints, but also the uh, those those peanut butter, the chocolate peanut butter ones. Uh, you pop yes. those in the freezer too. Those are those are pretty damn tasty. The freezer is an underrated aspect. I didn't I didn't adopt that strategy until later in my life. I wish I did earlier though because it's, it's magical. Yeah, and you know what's also pretty solid to do with Thin Mints. Uh, break a few of those up and pop them in a bowl of vanilla ice cream and just kind of mix it around in there. Mow See, I should have done this today because it's Fat Tuesday. I got to fast tomorrow. I know. With stupid Catholic values. <laughs> I, and what's funny is I'm not a guy who has a sweet tooth normally, but uh, now that I do, now that I can't really have any of it, um, I'm, you're sitting here making me salivate. Anyway, question <laughs> of the night. Yeah, it's a good question of the night. John asks, uh, what's, your, what's your go-to Girl Scout cookie? It is Girl Scout cookie season along with Lent season. So um, maybe you're giving up Girl Scout cookies for Lent. Yeah, I got to finish this other box before midnight. Because <laughs> sure. That's a, great, that's a great thing to give up. That's right. That's right. Um, so uh, Nick Mark says caramel delights. So um, you know, we'll we'll see uh, some other responses. Leave them in the live YouTube chat. Leave them in the Con- Cincy Jungle comment thread. Leave them. Uh, get get them to us via Twitter at Bengals OBI. Get to us. Um, we'd love to hear back from you about Girl Scout cookies because hey. And and our old co-host Scott Schultz, I don't know if you remember John. He also had a big sweet tooth. He was a guy that talked about dessert mm-hmm. a lot. So you are you're right in his wheelhouse <laughs> here with this question. You know, I I mentioned I want to start the show kind of with an, with a rant, and I I'm not totally sure exactly which direction, all kinds of directions I'm going to take this, but I think unfortunately, and, and I hate to be the negative guy because I put up stuff on CincyJungle.com. Uh, you know, our mailbag stuff and some opinion pieces about, you know, kind of trying not to be so cynical about Zach Taylor's stuff with this coaching staff, how we had to go down the pecking order a little bit. And I, I you know, commenters are are very strong in their opinions that get that, you know, basically saying I'm bitching about stuff. Fine, whatever. My, uh, this is, this is something I think most Bengals fans can agree to be upset about. And that's the Andrew Whitworth situation. In, in case you're, for some reason you haven't heard about this, Andrew Whitworth's wife, recently spoke to a, a publication, I believe it was in, was it in New Orleans or was it in Louisiana? Uh, I think it, it was, yeah. Yeah, it was like a women's publication, I believe, down there and talked about the free agency process that Andrew Whitworth went through a few years back, basically after the 2016 season. Um, you know, you can find it on the internet, check it out. Basically, there was a very terse exchange and it was, you know, basically Andrew Whitworth wanted to stay with the Cincinnati Bengals may even have been willing to take a little bit less money to be able to stay there, um, just wanted to be valued, and the Bengals lowballed him. Um, and, you know, he was kind of shocked and then all of a sudden went to the Rams, and guess what? He's playing some of the best football of his career over the past couple of years. So here, here's the thing with this, and there, there are so many directions I want to take this. I obviously want to get your thoughts on this too, John, before we dive into other topics as well. But I get a little I, – I, I try not to get too upset about it because really when I think about this, this is pretty much how I envision that conversation between the two parties going anyway, but to see it in writing from his wife uh, to see it kind of play out publicly, it it hurts. And there are aside from, yes, there's business decisions to make and you don't want to make poor business decisions. You know, you don't, you want to, think with your head not always with your heart but there are there is value in paying some guys that are team leaders maybe there is a slight decline in play there's there's value in paying some of those guys and keeping those around it sends a message to the locker room all that kind of stuff and the Bengals decided not to do that 
oh, by the way, since he's been gone on the team, it's been two more really poor losing seasons directly correlated with poor offensive line play. So there are reasons for the Bengals to say, yeah, we needed to move on. They drafted Cedric Abwehi in the first round. They drafted Jake Fisher. They needed to see what they got out of those guys. I get it. But this should have been a, a no-brainer thing to keep him as a Bengal. There's, there are a couple of repercussions here. Undoubtedly, current Bengals read about this or knew about it based on their relationship with Whitworth. That has to affect them when it comes time to, for extension talks. There's also the facet of outside free agents. Andrew Whitworth goes to the Rams. We're going to talk about some recently released Rams guys who might be fits for the Bengals here in free agency coming up here. Obviously, those guys hear things, read things. That paints a picture for the Cincinnati Bengals in free agency and what they don't do, what they don't pay, what they don't value. This really is is upsetting, and I guess it's because th- this is just not the way a lot of teams operate. Um, a lot of teams do shed contracts of, of aging veterans. Sure, they let them walk. Sure, it's tough. Peyton Manning, you know, the, the Colts did it with Peyton Manning after so many years. I get it. But the Colts won championships, have won championships. They have created a culture of winning. The Cincinnati Bengals have not. And you lose these types of guys all of a sudden. And, and you saw a bunch of Bengals fans root for Whitworth to win a Super Bowl because he didn't get that opportunity here in Cincinnati. And a lot of guys here will probably not get that opportunity during their careers. This is just a frustrating aspect. It's frustrating from the standpoint of what the Bengals don't do and don't pay in free agency. It's frustrating in that they definitely hurt their team, not only by undervaluing him, but not even bothering to basically extend an offer to Kevin Zeitler, ruining their offensive line for years to come. Then they rely on the draft. A lot of high draft picks don't pan out. It was a perfect storm of a lot of issues. I'm concerned, John, aside from being upset about it, I'm concerned about the fact that, yeah, this is, you know, basically three off seasons ago now. Did they learn their lesson? I mean, have they learned their lesson? Have they, is this new coach now going to be able to somehow pull some more money out of the, out of the pocketbook? Is this a thing where that stings them? And they say, wow, we just really shouldn't have let that happen. Never again. Or are they going to keep doing the same thing and drive us nuts? Yeah. Their reputation has to be damaged even further than probably it already has in free agency. I would think. Well, that was just the most damning move that could have possibly happened. That if that didn't, you know, hurt the reputation, nothing ever will because it was so monumentally poor and horrid in every sense of the word. Because ultimately, it was a failure in the process, and it was just their process. And every team has a process of evaluating their own their own talent at the end of the season, and then they come. And if those certain players are up for new contracts, then they you know do whatever they do to input a certain valuation on that player. Every, anybody with a brain and two eyes could have told you that Whitworth wasn't in any sort of decline and the Bengals were basically betting on him declining sooner than he naturally was going to, which was again, a, an error in, in just their overall process. And I guess it, did they learn their lesson? It, I, I think it's just, did they, did they over, affect their overall evaluation process, I guess. And I think there's also the, 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 the factors of drafting two offensive linemen, two offensive tackles a couple years beforehand to eventually replace him. And essentially the, you know, the valuing Whitworth at a 
lower price than what he was worth is essentially double da- double downing on your bets on Abuehi and Fisher, failing miserably on that, and then watching Whitworth eventually become an All Pro in Los Angeles. But I, 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 I don't think that the Whitworth fiasco changes anything going forward with with how they spend money. I think that they still have a process, and I think with the Blackburns and Duke Tobin still being there, I think they still believe in, and that's the process. But when you talk about, you know, how this could affect, you know, free agents going forward and their, their own talent signing going forward, there, there's a process that, you know, the, the Patriots don't do anything that dissimilar because they, they let go, you know, certain talent every, every year they trade, they trade talent for draft capital and they watch guys get big contracts on other teams and they end up going fine, but, but they already have a system in place that, you know, they can bring in talent and they can, you know, adjust their system accordingly for the talent that they bring in. The Bengals don't have their reputation. They don't have that precedent set with, you know, around the league. And so players would naturally be more cautious in adopting and buying into the Bengals system and and their, their process of team building. So I think that that definitely is a a negative factor to consider, but it's also wonder of, you know, just because Whitworth, you know, play them like a fool and made them look like fools. I don't know if that's so much to, completely for, for for their sake not 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 from from my opinion about what they should do it, just for about what I, th- I think has impacted them i don't think it's to the point where they would completely blow up their whole process because because as we know they're pretty stubborn in how they do this and obviously with taylor and tobin kind of um establishing what we think is good chemistry going forward maybe that process adjusts a little bit because taylor's more exposed to a more uh, a process of be more open to spend on not only your own, but on, on outside uh, town as well. I think there is, there could be some potential changes there, but I think this was just a severe miss in their process and in their methodology. And I'm not sure how much it changes going forward. Here's, I mean, I don't know if keeping Andrew Whitworth after 2016 would have been a cure all to the, you know the what we've seen over the past the, the two years basically to accrued season since he's been gone right i mean i don't i don't know that i i don't I definitely don't think they could be, could have been worse and i look at a situation like last off season where the Bengals had to scramble make a trade move around get cordy glenn yeah decent tackle you know he had a pretty had a decent season with the team not andrew whitworth type of season but a decent season you look at that and then the Bengals move back and they get Billy Price. And Billy Price is a guy that, um, you know, had his major share of ups and downs, missed time, all that kind of stuff. So I, I guess you look at it and you go, okay, if they had kept Whitworth, then you look at last offseason and then you don't potentially reach for a Billy Price. Maybe you get Frank Ragnow instead. Maybe you draft Tremaine Edmonds at the linebacker position who had a pretty decent statistical season with the Buffalo Bills. Um and you, and that way you're not scrambling to fill multiple needs all the time because your offensive line is a mess because you let one of your best offensive linemen you have ever had walk out of walk out of the room. And it's just it's it, it's a poor business decision that was a result of them thinking it was a good business decision. <laughs> right. And, and that's where I sit here and I just go, what are you doing? And and who is pulling these strings? The the, me- the message and the talking back and forth was with Troy Blackburn. I don't want to say it was just him that would that's you know the root of this problem or what have you, but 
you know, I don't want to spend all episode talking about this, but it, it is worth noting. It is disheartening. And um, yes, it's older news in terms of when it happened, but it's newer news in, in terms of it kind of the dirty laundry being aired. And uh, it's pretty disheartening. We wanted to address it. And uh, hey, Whitworth's, Whitworth's a Ram. He's had a good, good stint there. Um, I, I don't know what's ahead for him. He's, he is coming back this year. He didn't announce his retirement, which I believe is his, the final year of his deal, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly. But um, it, it, Bengals just put themselves in a big hole, um, both PR-wise and as a, as a performing team. Uh, with him, with him gone. So uh, very disheartening and um, you know, best of luck to Andrew Whitworth. He's a great guy. I've met him, uh, you know, great guy, great football player. Um, bad, bad decision by the Bengals and uh, not a good look for them as we head into free agency. This is the orange and black insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. We've got a lot more on tap. We are going to try and get to listener questions as we usually do. Um, kind of depends on how the rest of the episode plays out here. We are trying to get Edward Valentine on the program towards the end here. We'll see if we get him. Uh, if we if we do not, then we'll probably have a, a little bit of time for some listener questions that we will address, and we'll give you the number in just a little bit to, to call or text in. Um, you can get this show on iTunes. You can get it on Stitcher. You can get it on Google Play. You can get it on the Megaphone platform. You can also get this program on CincyJungle.com and on our YouTube channel. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, Priceline. Oh, wow. I took the worst time to take a bite out of a Thin Mint. So, as you said... Does it, does it taste good, at least? It, it does. It tastes amazing. As you <laughs> said, free agency is beginning in a week. The Bengals did get a compensatory pick for letting Andrew Overworth go. They got a fifth rounder because he was old, and that's kind of how that process works. So, yeah, yay. I don't even know. I don't even remember what they did with that fifth round pick. I think they dropped – what they draft? Jake Elliott? Uh, said that 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 would just be the ultimate. <laughs> I thought it was a fifth round pick in 2017. It might have been Elliott. If it wasn't him, it was that center from Utah who's not here anymore. But, anyways, Bengals have three six-round compensatory picks for their inactiveness and in free agency. But that's kind of – it's always been the thing in the Mormon Lewis era, right? It's, you know, valuing compensatory picks. It's more draft picks for basically not spending money. It's like the golden ticket for the Bengals. So using that logic, we don't know if anything is really going to change with Zach Taylor. They could be still bargain hunting for guys who have are not on the team anymore, who are have become free agents, not because they were set to become, but they have been cut unexpectedly for creating cap space by other teams. In the past couple of days, there's been a lot of guys who have been cut, and there's actually a lot of there's a there's a good number of, of names here that I think could make a difference for the Bengals in just a complementary or a rotational role. And I, and me and Anthony are going to give some some of our most favorite names out of this list. So I'm going to start with a guy who was actually cut a couple weeks ago by the NFC or almost NFC champion. Saints, the Alex Okafor, edge rusher from the New Orleans Saints. He was, I think, declined a team option uh, back in early February. He had about, 
I think it was like a four and a half million dollar cap hit going in. He was a rotational edge rusher for the Saints. They drafted Marcus Davenport. Uh, they traded up. They traded up for Marcus Davenport during last year's draft. I think they want to kind of implement him as the full time starter, and you know use Okafor savings in some place else. I think Okafor still has value as a rotational edge, and I think that's pretty much exactly what the Bengals need to be in the market for because odds are Michael Johnson's not coming back. Um, to bring him back would probably be to give him a raise, and he's just not worth it that at, at this point for playing 300, 400 snaps. But besides, you know, Carlos Dunlap, Sam Hubbard, Carl Lawson coming off of a torn ACL, Jordan Willis. That's it's kind of all you have at edge right now, and I think they need to add someone else in case Lawson doesn't come back from the ACL 100%. And at the top of the draft, there's a lot of edge talent, but I think as you look, look towards like the mid-rounds, the depth kind of gets a little a little murkier, if you will. So I think signing a guy like Okafor, who, again, w- wouldn't dig into your compensatory picks for a couple million dollars a year, basically the money that you would be paying Michael Johnson to bring him back to kind of fill in that rotational role that rotate within w- with guys like Hubbard and Willis. Um, still fairly young. I think he's going to be in his late 20s, but still provides a decent spark as a pass rusher. And it's kind of like an all-around solid edge player. And other than Okafor, I think another guy who could be worth taking a look at would be uh, Timmy Jernigan, who was uh, who also had his player option declined from the Eagles. Um, I think they saved about seven million against the cap. They're uh, they're doing a lot to basically open some cap room because they eventually need to extend Carson Wentz. And I think they're almost negative in the red in terms of cap space. But Jernigan, I think, is a guy who provides. Uh, legitimate pass rush as a three technique, which is something that the Bengals still don't have, even with Ryan Glasgow hopefully coming back from the ACL. But defensive tackle is another position where you know you look at the depth of, at, at what the Bengals have in the position. You just think there's promising potential there, but there's not rock solid depth that you would be comfortable with if if players went down. That's kind of what we saw last year when they had to get Niles Scott and Christian Ringo off the streets and Jernigan. Um, he's going to be I think his late twenties, maybe even thirty years old this year and provide a decent pass rush presence for a couple of million dollars a year for a, a one or two year deal. I think that he would be a decent option. So Anthony, who are some guys that you think would provide some value in terms of guys who got cut recently? Well, I like Jernigan. Um, I, you know, he's coming off an injury. He's actually young, man. Um, he, he doesn't turn 27 until, oh. this, until September. Um, so he's, he's pretty young. Okafor just turned 28. Um, I, I, Okafor to me, just, you know, he's kind of, he's hovered around that four to five sack mark in his career. He had one season with eight, um, to me, uh, you know, unless he's kind of affordable and he's good with, you know, being a rotational guy, uh, that that's someone that is just kind of a, a meh to me. Jernigan would be a good, good one, especially, and I, I say this, um, with the utmost respect to Geno Atkins, but there were times where there were some dry spells there last year, even with the double digit sack marks, he was kind of a feast or famine guy. And th- and you have to know that three of those 10 sacks he had last year were against the Raiders against backup interior often uh, offensive linemen that, that Oakland put out there. So I'm not downplaying what he did necessarily, but I, what, why I'm saying this is because I, I, I would not, be opposed to the Bengals bringing in someone to kind of give them a spell a little bit or be more multiple up front. Kind of the, you know, Jernigan is the sub 300 pound guy. He's not the, you know, the big 
old school run stuffing defensive tackle. He's the guy that can kind of penetrate and, and, and kind of create some havoc back there. And, you know, the Rams defense, they kind of had two guys that uh, you have Aaron Donald, who we all know can get to the passer all the time. And you have Ndamukong Sue, who kind of can do it all a little bit, but he is a, a pass rushing defensive tackle as well. So, you know, maybe the Bengals could be a little bit more diverse up front, um, you know, with the Billings, Atkins, Jernigan type of rotation. Jernigan is coming off of uh, a season where he only played three games, though. He was hurt. So that's, uh, you it's know. Probably, probably why he got his uh, option decline. Right. So, you know, that's something to to uh, take into account. But uh, productive player, obviously, he came from the Ravens. So uh, knows knows the AFC North well. That is a guy I think would be a, a very good signing, open up the draft for you. Uh, we kicked around a few other names. Um, I, I believe uh, I saw that Mark Barron, uh, was not, was he not picked up? Uh, or he was, he was released just like, yeah, he's he going to be released. Yeah. He's going to be, he's going to be released. So, um, and that's a guy, you know, a lot of people are saying Landon Collins, Landon Collins, Landon Collins. This is a guy who does the high British, not, not British hybrid ish. <laughs> he's a linebacker. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's a linebacker, but it, you remember he was a safety when he came out and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, he, he was not doing so great as a safety. He transitioned, but he is a guy who does some things in space. He was a, kind of a big part of, of the Rams transition and, and what they kind of do on defense. Uh, I, I think he's kind of a poor man's Landon Collins in terms of what he can do and familiarity with the, with the Rams scheme, probably similar. To, there's going to be some similarities here to what was run in Los Angeles. You get him cheaper. Uh, he is older, but you get him cheaper, and he doesn't count against that compensatory formula. That to, former first-round pick, high pick, that to me just screams bangles all over the place, uh, especially if he's affordable. Maybe you get him on a rental type of deal. So that to me is a guy. Um, you know, I, I see some other guys, you know, we before we got on the air here, we talked about Eric Weddle. I don't really see a fit there. Um, John Sullivan, the, the center for the Rams. I mean, there's some, some dots to connect there, but he is older. The Bengals just drafted Billy Price. I know a lot of people want to see Price move to guard. I just, I, I don't know that that's in the cards there. Um, so to me, Sullivan would be nice, I suppose, but I, I just don't see that happening. The one uh, that I think could be valuable on a number of different fronts is Dwayne Allen, the tight end who was just released by the Patriots. Um, valuable because he's a blocker. He can do a, a little bit in the passing game, um, but comes from a world champion organization. Um, so he's, he's used to winning uh, and winning pretty recently. <laughs> so uh, the Bengals have four tight ends that are set to hit the open market. I'm not saying Dwayne Allen is Tyler Eifert. I'm not saying he's CJ Doma. I'm not saying anything like that because he is not. But he is a guy that can help your offense in a couple of different facets, especially blocking. Um, and, you know, the Bengals last year kind of lacked a guy like that. Um, you know, I think if you get a couple of the pass catching types of tight ends, you also get the more of the guy who's the inline blocker. That can help things. We saw Joe Mixon have to create a lot on his own. Um, so having a, another inline blocker up front uh, in, in a tight end and maybe a, a quick little outlet for the occasional pass. I think of Reggie Kelly, right? Um, mm -hmm. 
Reggie Kelly was a guy that was kept around here for a long time, never put up the big stats, but was a great locker room guy, a guy who was used to winning and a guy who was incredibly well-respected, did the dirty work. And I think Allen is a guy like that. You can get him cheap and he could probably fill a couple of niches for you, open up the draft a little bit there. So those are a couple of guys that I look at. Not available yet, but rumored to eventually be available. Justin Houston. Now, you, you, you talked about Geno Atkins, you know, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to have a, to have a more diverse rotation in there. And I think that's a great I think that's a great point to make because, it, it, yeah, Atkins production wasn't great last year. And I think that's a large part because they were down so early and he didn't have a lot of pass rushing oppor- prime pass rushing opportunities that he used to have when the Bengals could score points. And I think a similar logic could be applied towards Carl's Dunlap, where it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if you had a more fluid and healthy rotation in with with, with your star pass rushers to eventually make them more effective in their production and whatnot. And I think Houston would provide value there as well. And not only that, but Houston obviously was a tremendous athlete back in his heyday when he had those 20 plus sacks, obviously wasn't worth the cap hit that he was that he was going against Kansas City. I think it was near 19, 21 million or so. So it made sense for him to be cut, but I don't, I, he wasn't as bad as I think a lot of people um, assumed that he was back in, in 2010. I think, I think it was still per pro football focus, a top 10, overall pass rusher per their grades didn't have the production to really mirror that grade, but I think it was still getting to the, to the quarterback on a consistent basis in terms of hurries and whatnot. And again, with what I envision, you know, the, the Bengals kind of need from, from the, from the defensive line, they just need a couple more pieces to just kind of make that rotation a little bit better because you like the potential there with Lawson and Hubbard and maybe even guys like Lasko and AJ Brown, if they can develop, but they still, I think they still need bodies to, to get, to get a more healthier rotation because it wouldn't be in the worst thing in the world if both Dunlap and Atkins saw a slight decrease in their snaps to kind of keep them more fresh. And I think that Houston would not only provide that, but he would also provide some solid veteran leadership to guys like Hubbard, to guys like, Lawson to guys like Willis, who especially Willis, who definitely needs it at this stage in the game. He's going into his third year and hasn't shown anything. But you know, if if they want to go long term with Lawson, I think he could learn some some a thing or two from a guy like Houston. And again, he's not technically available yet, but it's basically in the cards. He's going to be on the market for a trade, and if they can't get a trade, then he's going to get cut because they can't swallow that cap. So if, if he does get cut, and if they if they can't get him for a reasonable mid level value, I think Houston would be an ideal guy to go for as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, here's the here's the. By the way, Justin Houston, if he is released based on position, what he does, where he's at in his career, all this kind of stuff, doesn't he just scream New England Patriots signing? I mean, yeah. it, to me, that's it, just it just is where exactly what I thought about when when you mentioned his name. But uh, I, I agree with everything you're saying in terms of his value to the Bengals. I think that would be a good name, and and I think also. Big name Pro Bowl player at the end of his career, more affordable, and he has that that that. Oh, hey, you know, we spent we we got this guy uh, in our free agency period, you know, um, mm-hmm. and it's just kind of the, the 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 player profile that the Bengals look at in free agency. I look at what you're talking about the the huge year in 2014 where he had 22 sacks, um, dipped the next year, seven and a half sacks, just 30 tackles. Um, Four sacks in 2016, just 21 tackles. But the last two years, John, 18 and a half sacks combined. I mean, that's mm-hmm. not terrible. Uh, no, it's not. And wh- I think where he maybe faltered a bit more last year, nine sacks last year, um, the tackles from t- – he had 59 total tackles in 2017 and 37 last year. So I think maybe a little less impact in, in you know the run game, a little just a little less – 
impactful plays from that standpoint. Um, but hey, I mean, it's not like you see this dip from 2014 into 2015 and 16, where he only had uh, 11 and a half sacks after that 22 sack season. But then he comes back with another 18 and a half sacks the next two seasons. Um, so it's not like the, the Valley hit right now. Um, he kind of was riding back up a little bit. I don't think he's ever going to be, no. you know, anywhere near that 22 sack mark, but he could be a guy that could sniff double digit sack numbers with a team, even as a rotational player, I'd be, I'd be interested, especially if it's a rental deal, if it is affordable, um, unfortunately for Houston, given, you know, the fact he's been on some pretty good chiefs teams, um, and that he's had a good career, he's probably going to be looking for a team that he can buy into the fact that they are going to be winning um, and that they're going to be paying him pretty well. So uh, I don't know if either of those typify the Bengals at this point. Maybe. maybe. It's easy to go from the Bengals to the Rams. It's hard to go from the Chiefs, who are basically contending for the AFC for the next 10 years, to the team that's not the Chiefs. So that makes sense. Right. The but Patriots yeah. in a position to sign Houston and trade for Josh Rosen. I don't even know why we're talking about this now. Uh, to mention <laughs> it. <laughs> uh, it, interesting here. Um, and I think if I, I, I'll have to look at his contract, but Mohamed Alomer in the YouTube chat says, what about Indomitian Sue? We mentioned his name earlier, but Is he I, think, I think he was on a one year deal with, uh, I'll, I'll have to, I'll have to look at that. Um, I think he was on a one-year deal with the. He is, yeah, uh, yeah. So he's. Um, That's the most quiet free agent. Like I've, I've heard nothing about him in this process. He's, I, kind, he's kind of doing the Darrell Revis thing, you know. I mean, he's bouncing around, getting a big payday, and then leveraging it into potentially something else. That that makes sense again. The Rams connection, all that kind of stuff. That would make sense on a number of levels. What do you think? Yeah, I think because he was getting fourteen million on the cap, and those again a one-year deal, so it was like a prove-it deal. He was still really good. Like he wasn't obviously when you're playing with Aaron Donald, you're going to be the second best, you know, in terms of production, in terms of attention. But uh, Spotrek has him projected uh, getting a three-year deal worth about nine million, and it's probably a little bit out of the Bengals' price range in that sense. But in terms of just a signing that could definitely, you know, take what 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 the Rams' defense went from 2017 to 2018. The Bengals could see, in, at least in terms of the defensive line, they could see, you know, a similar impact in in terms of that sense because, you know, people were afraid that Sue, oh, who, like who's going to play nose tackle if you have two three techniques? I mean, Sue can line up in the A gap, he can line up in the B gap, he can line up, he can line up in the C gap. He's still even at thirty two years old, he's still a tremendous athlete and a tremendous pass rusher. Um, maybe not too comfortable with three years unless you know it's more front loaded and get that guaranteed money out of the way early. But um, that's, that, that's, that's a name I'd be interested in. I'd be interested in, in seeing how he handles this process because uh, the Rams, I guess, are in the process of clearing out space. If they, you know, let go of both Sullivan and Barron, maybe they're making a push to bring him back because, you know, they still have this window that they believe they can win. They still have McBay and they still have Goff on that, um, that rookie contract. So maybe he's back with them. But, you know, maybe he goes to a similar situation where he gets to play with a guy like Geno Atkins. But uh, probably going to be a little bit too much guaranteed money because I think he still believes that he's at the peak of his career. And I think that might take him out of the Bengals market. One last one before we move on that I saw, John, is uh, C.J. Mosley. I mean, I think everybody would say to me, I, I, that would be that would be a great get because it not only strengthens greatly your weakest position group, but it weakens your division foe. Yeah, it's it's killing two birds with one stone. But I think we're, we're we're over here just hoping that this transition means that they're going to be 
the Bengals are going to be looking into actually signing mid-level veterans. If, as soon as we get to that stage, maybe then we can concern ourselves with signing a guy like CJ Mosley, who's again going to probably set the market for linebackers, and he deserves really he does he deserves to because he's that good, and he has been good for the Ravens for quite some time now. He's a he's a player that I was very interested in drafting back in 2014. And he's obviously lived up to that billing, but. Yeah, I think I think he's I think, I think he's still too unrealistic for what we know about the Bengals yeah. and in the process right now. It would always be obviously be great, but I think the Ravens are going to be heavy spenders in free agency. It would be it would be shocking to me if they let CJ Mosley go. Yeah, this is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. We might be joined in just a few minutes by Edward Valentine of SB Nation, um, and and he's the director of the New York SB Nation site uh, covering all New York sports, but he was at the NFL Combine. He's going to talk to us about that. We're going to hear some of our thoughts from John here in just a second about the Combine, but you can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play. You can also get the show on the Megaphone platform as well as on on cincyjungle.com and always you can join us on youtube you can join the live uh recordings of the show on youtube every week that we do that and um, get the show how you can right so did, did you need another thin mint i i i was thinking about it <laughs> like do I, do I have time to do this no, nope nope you stop talking <laughs> All right. So, yeah, the combine just ended uh, yesterday. The DBs worked out. I didn't really pay attention to them. I was more focused on the first three days because that's kind of more aligns with what the Bengals need. Um, and, you know, the free agency hasn't happened yet. So, the Bengals still have major needs at both offensive tackle and linebacker. And thankfully, there were quite a few names that showed out in, in both those positions, specifically with the linebackers. Because if you watched those linebackers run on Sunday and then you watch the cornerbacks run on Monday, you're thinking, the linebacker group is faster than this cornerback group. And that's and honestly, it's it's a testament to how smaller linebackers are kind of getting. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just a sign of how the game is kind of evolving in that sense. And it, it was it was great to see those linebackers run so well, but there was also a couple tackles that that ran and tested well and did did some drills well. So I'll start I'll start with that. The consensus number one tackle in this class is Jonah Williams, and quite honestly, his testing numbers weren't very great for his size at just 304 pounds. But uh, with, with, with Williams, you know, he might not have been the guy that was always going to test well, but watching him, the drills was very important to me just to see how well his biomechanics were just up close. And cause you can see him on film that he just has a natural feel for, for the position. And those drills were just a terrific showcase for his ability in terms of kick sliding, in terms of getting out in pools. You could just see, he just kind of, just kind of has an enact feel for, just playing offensive tackle and you know the the 33 and a half inch arms helps his case you know because that's that passes that imaginary threshold for for evaluators to to stay on the outside but i think he still looked looked great in the drills and i think that kind of passed my overall test he he ran well at least and speed is important for tackles so that was good for him uh but the guys he's competing with for offensive tackle one Juwan taylor and andre dillard taylor is going to be your prototypical gap scheme right tackle while Dillard is more of that zone blocking athletic explosive tackle that you know what was like the best case scenario for Cedric Boy with with Taylor he I think he said he was down 50 pounds compared to what he was a couple months ago he was down to 312 pounds and he looked extremely light in drills he didn't run or do any like a uh, time testing or any jumps or anything like that but he looked really fluid in those drills and I don't know if that was because of that extreme lost weight but regardless I think he helped his stock because of that 
And with Dillard, he tested as the best offensive tackle in this class. And, you know, similar to Colden Miller last year for UCLA, um, he blew away the blew people away at the combine and ended up getting drafted in the first round. I think that's going to happen um, to Dillard in a similar fashion where, you know, he might, he may not be a first round tackle on tape, but he has first round testing ability. And you, you just got to hope that wherever he goes, that people get the most out of, you know, hit what, what base that he has in terms of the pass protector, because if you can figure that out, he's probably going to have that high quality potential. But if the Bengals don't take a tackle in the first round, there's a couple guys that I really liked in terms of that second or third arm range. That's Titus Howard and Max Sharping. Both are small school guys, but both tested very well for the size. They both were at least 320 pounds. They ran fast 40s. They had some good jumps. And again, speed, explosion are the two traits athletically that you look for in offensive tackles. And they, they tested very well, and they kind of confirmed what you, you can see on tape with them, you know, they have a good, they also have a good base and a good feel for pass protection. They just need a little bit more refinement. But if you have something that you can work off of and not have to rework everything, then you have something good for in terms of a long-term investment. So offensive tackles, I think overall, it was a, it was a solid um, weekend for them and for the Bengals. If they don't find a starter right tackle, I think they can find someone in the first 50 or 70 picks that can maybe start for, start early in the careers for them. And then when you look at linebackers, um, the two Devons really stood out, right? Because Devin White, Devin Bush, both tested in the 90th percentile and speed, explosion, flexibility. Um, checked off every box. I think White, you know, interviewed extremely well. He's one of the four guys that NFL media are, you know, saying that, you know, blew it away on the whiteboard in terms of just overall leadership qualities. But, you know, Devin Bush, man, like, people were talking about him being maybe there in that second round pick for the Bengals. And that's just not going to happen anymore. And I think we all owe an apology to Jeff Hobson who mocked Devin Bush to the Bengals in the first round. You're thinking this, this is a reach. Why, why the heck would they take him that early? But I mean, he tested just as well, if not better than Devin white. And he has also high quality production at Michigan. So I think both are firmly in that top 16 conversation white or excuse me. Yeah. White probably won't make it out of the top 10. And if, White's gone and Bush is still there at 11. I think the Bengals have to seriously consider him. But again, if, if they ignore the linebacker position in round one, the two guys that I think are should be firmly in that top 100 conversation are Blake Cashman and Drew Tranquil. Now, Cashman is a linebacker from Minnesota who tested kind of just behind where White and Bush both were. But um, he, he's one of those guys where, you know, you see how well he tests and you're thinking, I got, I, I've never heard of this guy before. And then you look on his tape and you're thinking, yeah, that athleticism shows up everywhere, you know, against Big Ten competition. He was extremely productive, and every part of the athleticism showed. And, you know, he, he wasn't a guy that a lot of people knew about, but he's probably going to be drafted in that second or third round range. And uh, Tranquil was a Notre Dame safety converted to linebacker. He was also pretty productive. He's more of on the older side, but being that converted safety, he has that explosion and that natural speed that you would expect a defensive back to have. And he might not be a as big as, you know, the traditional linebackers go and whatnot, but in terms of open field ability, downfield ability to get to get downhill and to fill those gaps, I think he has great ability in that sense, even for lack of size. So I think for the two biggest positions in terms of need that the Bengals have, you know, ignoring what, what they do in free agency, I think there are athletic targets who also have production in terms of linebackers that can fill, you know, that can potentially make a difference for the Bengals early on. So you had you had Jonah as your Jonah Williams as your number one tackle. Is that what you said? Jonah's one right now, and I don't think he's going to move. You don't think he's going to move? No. 
Okay. I the reason I ask is because he, uh, you know, I, I had a particular eye on him in the national championship game, and uh, he did he he did not do well against that vaunted Clemson line. Yeah, um, he, he had a few bad reps against Farrell. I'll yeah, give him that. Yeah. Um. And uh, that that I that kind of stood out to me, and I was going whoa because obviously he was a name that in early mock drafts that was linked to the Bengals quite often. So, um, you know, I, I, I look at that, but you know, I think that group had a good showing, like you said, the linebackers had a good showing. Um, my God, the, the wide receivers and the tight ends, man, they just exploded, exploded (laughs) the place. Um, and especially for tight end, that is a need for the Bengals. Um, at, at least at some level, I don't, think it's one at, at number 11 overall um but it is probably in discussion night two um you know i think that's got to be in the discussion depending on what happens with those four aforementioned tight ends that are set to hit the market but noah fant uh hawkinson um a, a slew of others tested very well at the position there's probably going to be guys on day three rounds four five and six that probably will end up contributing for teams uh, uh, on a decent level. So that stuck out to me. The question I want to ask you, John, with all of the wide receivers testing well. Now, you know, all of a sudden DK Metcalf was the the combine darling early uh, because he he ran, you know, incredibly well. He, he jumped, all that kind of stuff. But when it came to lateral movement and all that stuff, he could he he did not test well. But I mean, some of the scores were just astronomical, as were with other wide receiver groups. I I, I just wonder i again i don't know if i want to say it's necessarily at at 11 but you know we're saying hey maybe fourth round maybe fifth round the Bengals start stockpiling some wide receivers who knows maybe even third round i mean should we be talking higher for the Bengals at wide receiver based on number one the talent some of the talent in this draft number two aj green's getting older and coming off of some injuries john ross appears to be staying in cincinnati but who knows if that's if if that you know if that rumor is ever going to fully go away? Tyler Boyd is entering the last year of his contract, and then you've got a lot of guys behind them who are question marks. So I don't know, man. I mean, is this something that the Bengals? Hey, you know, maybe they address either either a starting linebacker spot or offensive line spot in free agency, and then do the other at number eleven. All of a sudden, at the top of round two, one of these guys that's pretty explosive comes around. What do you do? Right. And I think it's never a bad thing to attack a position that's strong in, in, in any draft class. And and I love when I love how the combine is a week before a free agency. And then you have the you know position groups like receiver, like tight end, like linebacker, blow everybody away. And then you're thinking, okay, we don't we don't really need to spend a lot of money on these guys in free agency if we can just if, if there's a plethora of guys in the draft we can find later in rounds three, two, three, and four and five and just kind of you know, feel exactly what we're looking for, but for but for cheap. So when you're talking about the Bengals wide receiver, beyond the top beyond the top three that we assume are going to start for 2019, there's just nothing there that's proven, right? We have Josh Malone, Cody Core, Auden Tate, Alex Erickson. Erickson is at least extended because of because of special teams ability, but Malone hasn't proven anything. He's kind of like the offense's version of Jordan Willis. You know, Tate is fun in certain situations as a niche player but he can he's they're certainly not attached to him in any sense of the word and i think we all have a similar opinion on, on cody core as well so if there is an opportunity to take a guy who they believe can contribute early and that's that's tough to say for receivers because they typically are the guys that you know t- take a year or two to really get um 
acclimated in, into a system, but it's never a bad idea, I guess, because at the end of the day, you just want to draft good players. You just want to draft players that can become long-term building blocks for your roster. And especially when you're dealing with a position that has a lot of uncertainty, it's, I, I just don't think it's the worst thing in the world. Now, I do believe that we should be under the presumption that you know they're going to do a lot of work to get Boyd extended before he enters free agency. I think, to your point, they, they might have learned their lesson from Whitworth in terms of getting AJ Green back on the books because if they let him go, then the fan base might riot even more. So I think it's safe to say that at least one of those guys is coming back. But beyond that, again, a lot of uncertainty. And then you're dealing with a, a bunch of tr- you know wide receivers who are 6'3", 6'4", running 4'5", 4'4", you know, speed in, in great downfield threats. All Most of them are productive. So this, this class is really deep in that sense. And if they take care of their business from free agency and find multiple starters at positions of need, they have some luxury to, to maybe take you know, this year's Jesse Bates, you know, because ultimately not a lot of people viewed safety as a big need for the Bengals, but they had other ideas. They wanted to move on from Georgia Loca. And if they find a receiver on, on day two or maybe early day three that can provide them something that they don't have and at least, you know, get some long-term stability in that position, it wouldn't be the worst idea in the world because this position that, because that position is really deep this year and has a lot of talent and, there's just going to be a lot of good players from this class. And I don't think it's the worst idea to invest in that. So we're going to kind of, uh, I, I don't think, unfortunately, Edward Valentine's going to join us. Um, we're, we're running a little bit out of time. And uh, by the way, it is not on Ed. Uh, it, this was my fault because I had reached out to him kind of last minute and tried to, tried to get him in here. And, and uh, unfortunately I don't, I don't think it's going to work out, but we'll get him on at some point in the near future too. a uh, good guy and, and uh, a big name through the SB nation network, but um, we're going to kind of mold, meld together listener questions with what the topic we're talking about, because a lot of, I'm, we're getting a lot of questions about specific players in the live YouTube chat here. Um, you know, I, I see Will Smith, just two words in a question mark, Montez sweat. Mm. obviously um, tested well i don't know if he's going to be there at 11 is that somebody you look at uh i think he'll, I think he'll be there at 11 okay because i now the the first thing that i, that I thought of with sweat and it's not an indictment on him but there, there's there's just it, it was jordan willis and I, that's like the third time i've said jordan willis in this program he has nothing to do with any of this that we're talking about but um i i there's a certain when you're watching film on guys you kind of have a sense of you know what they're going to test like and jordan willis's film and his athleticism testing did not mesh at all because i think he ran like a four or five had like a six eight three cone had explosive jumps you're thinking there's no way this guy was the same guy in film maybe just you know trained extremely well and i think a similar thing could have could have happened to sweat because the dude is athletic on on tv six five two six and he has some good bend and he's got some good snap jumping ability but that four four one man that that just blew everybody out it's like the fastest 40 from a defensive lineman in like 16 years or something like that and it's not saying that sweat wasn't athletic but he wasn't that athletic so it, it, it it's I think it's a caution for for people that maybe not completely buy into what he tested as because now we know he can run that fast. Now we know that you know he has that ability, he has that gear in him. But is it going to show up on Sundays? Is is it going to show up as a pass rusher? You you like that he has that in his back pocket, but if he can if he can develop that into some consistency, that would be fantastic. But as far as you know, 
does that elevate him to him into the top 10? I, I think it's a little too early to say because there's still Nick Bosa. There's still Josh Allen. There's still Brian Burns. There's still Rashawn Gary. There's still a lot of guys who tested well and already had that, you know, a claim as being a top half of the first round pick. I think sweats definitely in the first round, but top 10 might be a little bit too rich. Seeing a lot of stuff uh, from a couple of people about um, moving back in the draft. Uh, especially if a guy like Devin White isn't there, maybe your boy Jonah Williams is not there. Is that something you see that is uh, worthwhile? Um, I, or do you think they need to start thinking about moving up? Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, you know, this this seems to be a deep draft at a lot of positions, but some not at the positions the Bengals need necessarily. Um, I don't know. I'm usually open to moving up, especially when you have 11 picks. But I think in their specific situation, it probably wouldn't be in their best interest. I think, I think they're best suited to stay where they are because, you know, people create these lists all the time. Like they talk about this player's not going to be there, this player's not going to be there, this player's not going to be there. Then you end up listing like 20 guys who aren't going to be there at the 11th overall pick, and you're thinking, okay, this is not the way that it works, and it's never how it happens. So there's going to be 10 picks before the Bengals. Two of them are probably going to be quarterbacks. If we're assuming that they're going to keep Andy Dalton for 2019, move forward with him, I think it's safe to say they're probably not going to take one, even though they might consider a Haskins or a Daniel Jones if he's there. But then you're thinking, okay, that's that's eight non-quarterbacks that are going to be taking. There's more than eight elite prospects in this draft class, in my opinion, in terms of athleticism, in terms of production, in terms of tape. And I think they'd be best suited to find that, you know, that that linebacker in a Devin White or Devin Bush, that pass rusher and maybe a Josh Allen, maybe an Ed Oliver, you know, you know, maybe a Brian Burns or somebody like that. I think that they need elite talent on this roster because they have multiple deficiencies all over the board and nothing really, you know, gets you back on track and getting that guy that, that, that you're sure that, you know, he's going to be on the team for, for 10 years, you know, you're going to be able to extend him and he's going to be able to produce for a long time. And I think when, when you move back, then, you're in danger of selecting Billy Price, and that's something that they should probably avoid this year. But um, no, I, I think I think they're best suited to seeing where they are because I, they just need elite talent, and I think they're going going to be able to find an elite prospect at eleven at you know a position that they could play early. Uh, I think it was let's see who it was uh, something is it something Hayes uh, basically uh, it's kind of something that um has been asked uh, chief hayes um do you you know is, is this basically do you do you foresee number the number 11 pick being offensive lineman or linebacker um and if so which one do you think wins out personally i would say offensive lineman if it does come down to those two because i think zach taylor just offensive-minded guy, wants an offensive pick for his first pick, um, and he wants that passing game to work. Um, that that would be my guess if it had to come down to those two. I think most likely it comes down to those two, but there could be a dark horse. What do you think? Yes, because last year it was like between you know linebacker or center because center was like the, the dire need, and what it turned out was that they actually addressed that dire need. That's something that we haven't – we weren't used to seeing because they always attack premium positions earlier in the draft. And, you know, a, a position like center was usually addressed, you know, in the middle round or w- with an undrafted guy. So for them to go out and, and attack their biggest need like that, it was unexpected. And I think that's could be a similar position that we 
that, that could be a similar situation that we see with the linebacker position where you're thinking, you know, th th this is a position that they only you know, take third, fourth round guys and try to plug him into, you know, make him the least priority because the, the pieces around them are supposed to help him out. But now you're thinking they have little to no depth of that position. They have complete uncertainty with Montez Perfect. Besides Perfect, they have, you know, Preston Brown as a free agent, Nick Vigil, who's going into the last year of his deal. He's not exactly proven to be tre tremendous in any way, shape, or form. So I think linebacker is in that similar position that at center where you're thinking, okay, it's not traditional for the Bengals and their traditional draft values to take a linebacker this high, but it could be in a similar position where they're just in such a dire need for one. And there's probably, and there's going to be either Devin Bush or Devin White available there. And I think either of those two would be worth the pick. Um, and, and I think that both of those guys are the same caliber of prospects at linebacker that the top tackles are. And that'll be a healthy debate in terms of, you know, what, what do, what do they value more? What did they need more with what they did in free agency? So yeah, it's probably going to be between those two positions. I wouldn't rule out maybe tight end or maybe a pass rusher or a defensive lineman. I think those are going to be like the four big positions that they're going to be you know, shuffling through because ultimately no one drafts pure best player available, especially when you're picking 11th overall, you have definite clear needs that on your roster that you need to address early. And I just think that linebacker could be in that similar position to center last year where you're thinking, okay, they need to address one early, but they normally don't do it this early, but this could be just a different situation because of how big the need is. Quickly, and then we'll we'll start getting out of here, John. There was a couple of other comments and questions about Greedy Williams at number 11. Um, that would be very interesting on a number of different levels, especially if the Bengals end up losing out um, on dark as Denard, um, you know, maybe they want to go that route. Is that something that's just, you think that's overkill at that position, uh, especially given the needs at linebacker and offensive line, or do you think that that would be something where you go, Hey, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And I like greedy. I just don't think that he's the cornerback that the Bengals should be looking for in terms of replacing Denard. I think there's some, there's some intriguing options in the second or third round that could more aptly fill that nickel cornerback slot. Greedy is more that 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 zone guy who doesn't like to like to backpedal too much, and you saw some of that uncomfortableness in in his uh, on field drills at the combine. Um, if they were to restructure Drake or Patrick and be able to move on from him earlier, I think he would be an upgrade over him. I still like you know the thought of having William Jackson here long term. So, like the the, the cornerback that I was interested in. Hopefully, testing was Byron Murphy or even a DeAndre Baker, two guys that I think could easily you know move inside and cover the slot with ease and that's ultimately what they're going to be missing when when and if dark was um moves on to another team i'm, I'm still hoping that dinner comes back because i think they can afford him i think he's still a solid player but i i think in terms of what they'd be missing out with what the, what they'll be losing with dinner greedy williams is not the best player to to to, to fill that role and e even though i think he's a good player i just think that he's not the best fit yeah um yeah, and, and you know, I think he also maybe does a little bit more uh, on the outside, uh, right? Yeah, than than so much in the slot. But yeah, good stuff, John. Appreciate all the the notes you had on a, a lot of those players there. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Kazenza. We're gonna get out of here in just a second. Uh, you can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play. You can get this show on the Megaphone platform as well as on YouTube and CincyJungle.com. Any final thoughts, John, as we get out of here? I'm very intrigued over the next week because we have heard nothing about any 
contracts given out to the Bengals free agents. We've heard nothing about perfect and we still know nothing about what free agency is going to be like. And that, that, that first 72 hours is going to be really crucial because it's usually not usually the time where the Bengals are still on vacation and not concerned about signing anybody off the market, but you know, how much different, and this is something we, that we, we can talk about next week too, because next week will be the official start, but hopefully we get some contracts for either Dennard or CG Uzoma or some, some other, one of the other few veteran veterans that have actually earned that second deal. But hopefully we start getting some news about that and get, gives us a better picture about what the next week is going to be like. Interesting stuff from a couple of people. And I, you know, I didn't really connect the dots until now, but um, I think it was JPEC in the live YouTube chat who said Juwan James, who's the tackle from Miami. Um, mm. And he was a former first round pick in 2014 by Miami solid player hitting free agency. And guess what? He was there when Zach Taylor was there um, in, in Miami as an offensive assistant. So um you know, I don't know what it's going to take to get him in terms of money, but that is a name that's kind of a, a little bit under the radar because a lot of people are talking about Trent Brown and some other guys out there. That's a name that could be out there, and obviously there's some connections here. We keep pointing to Rams guys as potential connections, but uh, a guy like that may be someone that, that Taylor looks at. Um, something to keep an eye on as we go into free agency going forward. John, thanks for everything. I'll see you, uh, I'll see you next week, my friend. See you next week. All right. Thanks, everybody. This has been the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. We'll see you next episode. Also, keep it to our feed because we will be updating uh, some things on free agency happenings, departures, signings, all that stuff. So keep it here. Again, this is the Orange and Black Insider. We'll see you next time. Thank you.